Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Our reading today is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. This reading follows when Jehoshaphat went out among the people throughout Judah and turned them back to the Lord and appointed judges and Levites to judge and serve wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Muonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, or plague, or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory would, you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jezahel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. 
Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to that place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went off to carry their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of Berakah to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Uh, well, just a couple of weeks ago in Brisbane, I hosted a conference for uh, leaders, national leaders of South Pacific uh, student ministries. So from Australia and New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, New Caledonia and Guam. And as we spent time together, one of the things that really struck me was how positive Pacific Islanders are. They're really positive people. It's, it's almost embedded in their culture. So, for example, the standard greeting for Fijians is bula, which means life. And if you want to say hello a little bit more formally, you say bula vanaka, which literally means life, thank you. How positive is that? <laughs> it's amazing. No, hey, God, kind of stuff, is it? And that positively, positivity even affects politics even around the world. See, the most positive US politician in recent memory was born on Oahu in Hawaii. You may have heard of him, Barack Obama. 
And actually, even in his speeches, because of his specific background, you can hear the positivity. My favourite speech of his uh, was one from 2008 in New Hampshire when he was on the road to becoming president. And he gave this amazing speech where he drew on thoughts of Martin Luther King Jr. and, and Abraham Lincoln. But he, but he really summarised and he encapsulated his uh, positive message in three little words. Yes, we can. Isn't that great? So full of optimism and potential. Yes, we can. Believe and achieve. Yes, we can. As you're being trained in Ridley, I wonder if you feel a bit of that Obama positivity. (laughs) Yes, we can. Mind you, your task is pretty big, isn't it, if you think about it? Like, see, when you're Ridley graduates, what we'll expect of you is that you evangelise every nation, (laughs) that you re-evangelise the church, that you mature believers with God's word, women and men, children and young people, that you set an example to other believers in life and ministry, and that you be salt and light in a dark and dying world. It doesn't feel enormously like a yes-we-can kind of project, does it? It's quite a bit more, oh, my goodness, (laughs) rather than yes-we-can. How can we possibly do it all? Well, this morning, just briefly, I want us to look at Jehoshaphat, uh, the king, uh, out of that section of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, to encourage us in our mammoth task. That's what we're going to do. So come with me again to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And as we've read already a little bit, you know that Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah. And as our brother said, he was faithful to God and wanted to reform God's people. So what he did is he sent Bible teachers throughout Judah to turn, essentially, to turn the kingdom into a Bible college. And there was great revival of faith built on God's word throughout the land. But now in this chapter, in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat faces an enormous challenge. And we pick it up there in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Notice that bit at the start, after this. That is, after the revival and the return to God and his word. All seemed well with the world. But an invasion by the combined forces of three nations advanced on Jehoshaphat. It's a crisis. A crisis of both king and country. Not good news for Jehoshaphat. So in verse 2, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army, they're encouraging words, aren't they? A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hatzaz on Tamar, that is En Gedi. Now, if you know this book well, you'll know back in chapters 18 and 19, two Israelite armies, Judah and Israel, fought against one foreign nation, Syria. And they lost. Now, Judah alone is facing three foreign armies. It's three to one. Judah's outnumbered. It's a vast army. Those are going to be very important words in this chapter, actually. It's insurmountable odds. They'll be overwhelmed. And if you know your geography, you'll know that the vast army is sneaking around the back way. And so all of Jehoshaphat's garrisons and fortifications, his defences are useless. And the vast army is getting close. 
They're only 40 k's away from Jerusalem. There's no time to, pre- to prepare extra forces or defences. So here is a real test for Jehoshaphat's theology and also for the people of Judah. They've heard the word of God. Now will they trust the God of the word? Well, let's see. Verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. No sense of yes, we can. Jehoshaphat is alarmed. He's disturbed. So what does he do? He holds a church prayer meeting. That's what he does. His first response is to pray. Why doesn't he get out there and and lead his people into battle? That's what the great leaders always did. That's what William Wallace would do. That's what King Leonidas of Sparta would do. But Jehoshaphat knows that he is much more powerful on his knees than on his horse. And so he prays. In fact, the whole people come to Jehoshaphat to pray to God together. Because Jehoshaphat has planted God's word in them. And God's word works. For the Bible teaches us to trust God. Teaches us again and again that God is our only hope. So the news of a a huge invasion moves them not to despair, but to prayer. And what does Jehoshaphat pray? Well, let's pick up his prayer in verse 6. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? Now, just in case you're unclear, the answer is yes. Okay, great, got it? Good, let's go. You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. What's happening here in verse 6 is basically Jehoshaphat is plagiarising King David's words from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, praising God for his glorious sovereignty. And then in verse 7, Jehoshaphat recalls God's faithfulness to his covenant promises to Abraham and his mighty victories through Joshua. Have a look, verse 7. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And again, the answer is yes. Yes, you did. Jehoshaphat remembers God's greatness and faithfulness in the past. And he he echoes King Solomon's words in 2 Chronicles 7 from the dedication of the temple when in verse 9 he says, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and cry out to you in our distress and you'll hear us And save us. See what the king's saying? He's saying, well, here we are. Here we are trusting you. Here we are seeking you. Here we are relying on you, treasuring your word. Jehoshaphat's read his Old Testament. He knows his Bible. He trusts in God's promises and he prays. 
prays trusting that God will save them. He prays about God's great past actions and also in great reality prays about Judah's dreadful present situation. Notice this in verse 10. But now here here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, or jumping down to verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. Jehoshaphat prays in total weakness and dependence. There's no triumphalistic propaganda here. He acknowledges that he's powerless and he's clueless. No ability, no wisdom, just dependence on God. Isn't it fascinating how again and again in the Bible, God keeps speaking to us of his divine power and our human inability. I know this personally. I know this deeply how this functions. See, I'm a long-term student worker who currently specialises in the South Pacific and I still find myself in conversations with Pacific Island students or even Pacific Island colleagues. And though words are being spoken in the conversation, the eyebrow language is kind of going on (laughs) in the background. And I know all the important things are being said with eyebrows. And I don't speak eyebrow. (laughs) So the conversation is going on. I know it's being said and I have no real wisdom to interpret what it means. And then there's times when I'm teaching students and no matter how hard I try, I can't convince them that the gospel isn't about social obligation or about trying to live your best life now. It's so hard to convince them it's actually about God's grace to us in Jesus. I have no wisdom. I have no power, not of my own. Brothers and sisters, please don't think that if you do well in your essays or if you have good pastoral skills or if you're clear on your ministry philosophy that you'll have everything under control in your ministry. God wants us to get to the point where we realise we're out of control. That's when we pray. And the gospel message is that when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God's powerful son, his powerful cross, meets us as powerless sinners. Verse 12 is great. I love verse 12 because it makes it very clear. We have no power. We have no wisdom. But that lovely little bit at the end. But our eyes are on you. For God is the one who has and who embodies power and wisdom. It's so clear in the Old Testament. It's so clear in the New Testament. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Christ crucified. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jehoshaphat's prayer is a great prayer because he acknowledges all of this. And now here's God's reply through his prophet. Jump with me into verse 15. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Or verse 17. You will not have to fight this battle. 
Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. God brings his word of salvation. He's going to save his people. Believe God's word through his prophets and you'll succeed. In fact, God's main command here is just don't fear. There's such great echoes, aren't there, of of Moses' speech at the Red Sea. Stand firm, watch, God will fight. It's like so many of those great battles of the Old Testament, isn't it? The plagues and the Passover, the Red Sea itself, even Elijah on Mount Carmel where all he does is pray. God fights the battle and God wins the battle. And so in Jehoshaphat's day, God says, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Winning the battle is his job, just like all kingdom enterprises. So march down and do nothing. God will be with them, just like he was with Jacob and Moses, just like Jesus says he'll be with us till the very end of the age. His presence and power securing our success. And this is how the people respond. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Now, please remember, brothers and sisters, that God hasn't done anything yet. Nothing's changed. Nothing happened. There's still a vast army that's coming, marching on them. They're still horribly outnumbered. But God has spoken. He's spoken his words. And that gives his people confidence. They're filled with praise rather than panic because they've heard God's word. And just in case they forget, Jehoshaphat reminds them the next morning there in verse 20, have faith in the Lord your God and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, that is his word, and you'll be successful. Jehoshaphat actually is a great pastor. He really is. He calls on God's people to trust God and listen to his word. That's what you're being trained for, isn't it, really? To call on people to trust in God and listen to his word. To call on God's people to keep believing God and his great victory in Jesus, achieved in the past but finally revealed in the coming days. If we do that, we've done our job. Now, Jehoshaphat is clearly putting his faith in God because his military strategy is terrible, really sucks. He puts the musos at the front of the army. Maybe he doesn't like them, I don't know. (laughs) The choir leads them into battle. It's a cheer squad for God. That's what's going on. Have a look, verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendour of his holiness. Remember, he hasn't done anything yet. As they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Psalm 136 verse 1. They're singing praises to God before the battle, before the victory, because they know who God is. They know what he's done. They know what he can do and what he's promised to do. And see what happens. Verse 22. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. 
The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they'd finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So here's God turning the enemies against each other in a way that sounds a lot like Judges chapter 7 and Gideon when God defeats the Midianites. And in this particular battle, with Judah watching, all three armies are utterly decimated without God's people even lifting a finger. So that, as verse 24 says, when the people of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. It's a great warning, isn't it, really, of the death and destruction that awaits all who oppose God, all who attack his people, all who defy his kingship through his son, Jesus Christ. And here's the outcome in Jehoshaphat's day. Verse 29, the fear of the Lord came upon all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Not very well known in some ways, but one of the greatest victories in the Old Testament against insurmountable odds. And in the wake of the warfare, the news spreads. All the nations fear God because of his mighty victory and his people have peace, as it says. What a wonderful forerunner this is to Jesus' return when at the name of Jesus, the king who has conquered sin and death and hell, every knee will bow, as Philippians 2 says, and God's people will be at rest with him forever. So what's the lesson for us from this unusual chapter? If you pray, you'll always be successful. Oh, that sounds like quite a good essay question, doesn't it? <laughs> Prayer leads to ministry success. Discuss. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I think the answer is yes and no, actually. Yes, because the goal of gospel ministry and the Christian life is to depend on God, to give him glory. And if you pray, you do that. And no, because power and wisdom comes from self-humbling dependence on God, not on striving for or attaining success. The kind of dependence that prays. God wants the heart that doesn't say, yes, we can, but that says, yes, he can. God wants us to seek him, to trust him, to entrust our lives and our ministries to him and so to operate with a God-centred positivity. Yes, he can. Trusting in his power and his wisdom. God wants us to believe that it's possible to evangelise every nation, the South Pacific and beyond. Because yes, he can. God wants us to strive to, to re-evangelise the church because, yes, he can. God wants us to act like it's possible to nurture believers with his word because, yes, he can. 
God wants us to aim to set an example to other believers in life and ministry because, yes, he can. God wants us to seek to be salt and light faithfully to a dark and dying world because, yes, he can. Here's our positive and inspiring motto, knowing that we can trust God in all circumstances. The great call to trust the wisdom and power of God. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Amen.